Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. First, there was Henry VII, the Conqueror, then Henry VIII, the serial killer monogamist, then Edward the Boy King and Mary the Bloody. Finally, a golden orb falls from the Tudor family tree. The princess, the bastard, the brat, milady, Gloriana, good queen Beth, the fairy queen, the virgin queen, or simply Elizabeth I. The end. Let's talk about Queen Elizabeth I. On September 7, 1533, Anne Boleyn gave birth to Elizabeth. It was her first child, the second child of Papa, Henry VIII. The second living legitimate child, anyway. Her legitimacy was often in question by one faction or another, even by her father at times. But, just for clarity's sake, at the time of her birth, her father said she'd been born in lawful wedlock, for all that's worth. She was baptized as Princess Elizabeth. She was recognized as the princess at her birth and for a couple years afterwards. At this point, if you want some in-depth coverage of the circumstances leading to Elizabeth's birth and her earliest childhood, you should go back, you know, go away, listen to our teeny tiny tutor tutorial. It's a small one. It's a mini cast. And then perhaps listen to Queen Catherine, followed by Anne Boleyn. And for those who don't want to go back just now, here's a quick summary of how we got to this point. Henry VIII was married to Catherine of Aragon for 24 years. Catherine produced one daughter, Mary, but no sons. Henry needed, he wanted a son. He connects with Anne Boleyn, who tempts him but doesn't give in to him because she wants to be queen. The only way for that to happen is if Henry separates England from the Catholic Church. During that process, he alienated pretty much the entire Catholic Church, lots of other countries, and put his country on the road to religious unrest. He makes himself the head of the Church of England, says that now he can divorce Catherine of Aragon, marries Anne Boleyn, who at the time was pregnant with Elizabeth. And so, it was with breaths held and eager anticipation that Anne Boleyn, ironically and weirdly at the Palace of Placentia, <laughs> uh, which is no longer in existence, which is a bummer, was delivered of not the son and heir, not Henry VIII's saving grace, or so he thought, but a little princess. Now, a lot of times people talk about the birth of Elizabeth as being a disappointment to Henry. But I don't think he was entirely disappointed. He knew that Anne could get pregnant. He was joyous that there was a, a child born live, healthy. So that was an encouragement that that son would come. So the pageantry of a prince's arrival was kind of downgraded to that of a princess, which would have been traditional for the time. Yeah, and at least she looked like her papa. Her red hair. Uh -huh. You know, so fair enough. Let's name her after both grandmas. Convenient that they're both named Elizabeth. No fighting. And let's just try again. So baby Elizabeth, my lady princess, was breastfed by her mother uh, until the baby got her own establishment at three months at Hatfield House. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> Every other baby's getting booties. <laughs> you know what that would be like? Little Prince George of Cambridge leaving now. Pretty much now. 
right. from Will and Kate and getting his own establishment with over a hundred servants, including four people to rock him. He's so cute. Well, okay, so Little Thing has her own dressmaker, even, and even worse, historically speaking, her older sister, who's 17, is stripped of her establishment and sent to be a lady-in-waiting to the baby Elizabeth. And that we cover a lot of that during the Queen Mary podcast, so you might want to go back again and listen to that. But that's, yeah, ouch. So Anne needs to bring forth that son for Henry. He still needs an heir. She tries, and she get does get pregnant, and then she miscarries. And she gets pregnant, and she miscarries again. The third time, stillborn, and it's a son. Henry's getting pretty irate at this point. Because it's all her fault. Right. You know. So, when Elizabeth is three, her status changes greatly because her mother, Anne Boleyn, had been indicted on spurious charges. That would be, for details, of the charges and the trial that wasn't really a trial. Go back to the Anne Boleyn podcast, but let's just say it was rushed through and it was a kangaroo court and it was no good at all. So, Elizabeth's mother was executed by her father before she was three years old. Henry and Anne's marriage was annulled, and Elizabeth was declared a bastard. No more princess, now she's my lady Elizabeth. And once upon a time, the governess had written in, saying, Oh, please, let me serve her simpler food. All this pageantry, it's not good for such a little child to eat in state before the nobles, etc. And now she's writing, Please, she has no clothes. Nothing fits. Am I supposed to buy these things? What am I to do? So, oh, how times have changed up at Hatfield House. So now Elizabeth has a new stepmom in Jane Seymour, who had the good fortune to give birth to a son. And had the bad fortune of dying right afterward. Or the good fortune, because she didn't have to live through Henry's craziness, maybe. So Elizabeth's brother was the heir at last. And so Elizabeth's governess... Lady Brian, the good governess, the high-status one, was sent to take care of him. And so Elizabeth was given a young connection of, you know, here and there. She had some connections at court. Um, Catherine Champernown, also known as Cat Ashley, which is easier to say. That's her married name. She started here, acted as her mother figure. So while she didn't have a mother, she wouldn't have had her mother there anyway. Really. No. In this day and in this age. But... At the age of four, she received a mother figure who would stay with her, with one big exception, for the rest of Cat Ashley's life. So she had a stable little household Mm -hmm. from this point. So now we enter the period I like to call the period of benign neglect. Unlike her sister Mary, who Henry VIII was at all the time, Elizabeth is the middle child. She's... No trouble, really. She's not the son. She's not the oldest daughter. We don't have a long history of fighting. So there we go. We're sailing along. And she's still pretty young. Yeah. So it's easy to overlook her. She's definitely in the out of sight, out of mind department. You know who I think influenced Henry VIII to better treatment of her in the first place was Jane Seymour. I think she was a very benign force and changed Henry's mind right before she died. So that was good. And it led to some good 
years of peace Mm -hmm. for Elizabeth. So good for Jane Seymour. So she's overlooked as a middle child, and she has a stable maternal figure. This is so key. She also received a great education. She studied even as a six-year-old Greek, Latin, French, Italian, religion, and philosophy. The nobility of England had never been so educated as this brief period. It was very fashionable. I mean, I'm talking this is a 50-year period that we happen to be lucky enough to be born into, in which upper-class men and noble men educated their daughters to the same high standard as they educated their sons. This would not be the case later or before. It's like a window. I know. Also key. It's amazing. Lucky on the timing. I mean, you talk about Elizabeth as a queen later, you know, of all the smart things she did. That's because she had a foundation amongst this chaos of Henry's court. So this tiny little prodigy did please her papa with her learning, and she was allowed to be with her brother, who was about three and a half years younger than her, and they learned together. And she was at court here and there, a special pet of her butterfly stepmother, Catherine Howard. Yeah, that gets overlooked a lot, I think, that they actually had a pretty fun little relationship. It It was a classic fun stepmom for a short period. Well, and, you know, here's little Elizabeth. She's eight, and her stepmother's, you know, maybe 11 years older. Yeah, not that much older. So, of course, they could play and dance and, and this and that. Yeah, intellectually, they were probably on, about on the same level. And think about someone who's been in the shadows, and all of a sudden, this queen, this, like, glamorous teenager mm-hmm. with the glittering jewels, brings her out into public and makes much of her. And, I mean, how that would make you feel as a little kid. Oh, sure. You'd feel pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. Also, you'd feel pretty shy shocked when that stepmother was for the chop so abruptly. Yeah, and now when you knew what happened. <laughs> Unlike mom. That would be quite a bit of a blow. Uh, at this point, it is reported by many that Elizabeth said from the age of eight that she'd never, ever marry. I don't know if we're going to give credence to this. When I was eight, I thought I was going to grow up to be Princess Leia. So I thought I was going to have Dalmatian puppies. And there you go. So you never know. Um... So let's let's put a pin in that. That's right. <laughs> As they say. Um, but, I mean, I did always know from a small child that I always wanted to have one child. So it could be possible. I, you know what always amazed me about this is that she loves her dad so much. She loves him, even though she's starting to realize what he's capable of. And she's seen his, you know, his not-so-attractive side. But she still loves a man. I mean, that's love right there. Now, aside from one whole year um, that her father forbade her to show her smart face at him for some time, we don't know <laughs> what caused them to fight. He, he couldn't take away her iPod or her <laughs> cell phone, so just keep your face away from me. <laughs> so they got along a lot better than her older sister ever did. Um, Henry's wife, number six, Catherine Parr, was probably the closest Elizabeth ever got to having a, you know, dad mom family situation because she did bring her to court to live at court with them and she did try to have some sort of normalcy as a family unit so ultimately and to the great joy of historians everywhere henry the eighth died <sighs> who that's a historian's cheering <laughs> the historians and a lot of people in england at the time although they did it very quietly and under a pillow just in case well, they are british <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Elizabeth went to live with Catherine Parr in her assorted houses, became part of her household, um, but all was not necessarily awesome. Catherine Parr had remarried in haste, unseemly haste, many said, 
the man that she was about to marry before Henry VIII proposed to her. So it wasn't really haste. I mean, she did it pretty fast, but, you know, she was just married to Henry because she had to be out of obligation and duty. And she nursed him and she got him dead and buried. And then she went back to the life that she had before he came along. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> well, he was not a good guy. He's the brother of the Lord Protector, basically the regent. So he's the brother of the regent of England, since the king is a young, young boy. Uh, and he, what is his deal? There were so many bizarre incidents. Well, Elizabeth was such a valuable commodity. I mean, she's in line for the throne. Whoever gets her is going to have some type of power. She's in with the king. You know, presumably they're assuming he's going to grow up to live a long reign. So she's like gold, and the gold makes people crazy. So maybe Thomas Seymour was a little crazy to begin with, and then this is me totally speculating, (laughs) but it's certainly whatever happened, he wigged out. So there were a lot of bizarre incidents. He would sneak into Elizabeth's room and start tickling her or slapping her or chasing her around the bed. What the hell? Cat Ashley told on him. Thank goodness. And Catherine Parr, at one point, came. she decided, oh, well, I'm going to just join then, and it'll be all good. It'll be all coach. <laughs> so she comes and holds Elizabeth down while her husband cuts her dress to ribbons. Yeah. There is no possible good spin I can put on that. <laughs> He would come in, try to catch her before she'd gotten dressed. And so here's Elizabeth trying to get up early, early, early and put her clothes on before he makes it in. I mean, that's not good. It's not good. So Catherine Parr found them, quote, in an embrace. And only then the alarm bell sounded, I guess. (laughs) So she finally sent Elizabeth away. Not as a disgrace, necessarily, but away for safety, I guess. But after Catherine Parr died, rumors of this behavior leaked out. And it is a big, fat scandal. Um, He was trifling with the king's sister. At this point, third in line after the brother and the mayor. This is no joke. What was there a plot to take over the crown? Is that what this is? Maybe. I mean, he he did attempt to kidnap King Edward. Yeah, he was caught literally in his room. Yeah, with a with a gun. Um. So, dude, that's not good. So Elizabeth's reputation is so tarnished by this whole situation. She carefully crafted a new personality, kind of. Her dress became conservative, all black, not a lot of jewels. Her behavior became very modest, very circumspect. The image she was trying to create is a lady, a young lady of such virtue that when people see her with those rumors in their head, they think, oh, well, that couldn't possibly have been true. That was the goal. Yeah. And it was really wise for, uh, I mean, she was a teenager at this point. That was pretty smart spin right there. So far did this image go that her brother Edward called her sweet sister temperance. <laughs> Check. Done. Uh, Thomas Seymour is finally executed. So he's no longer uh, a problem. But even then she says, today died a man of much wit and very little judgment. There you go. He was that fun guy, you know, who thought he could get away with stuff. At this point... When little brother Edward dies, an untimely death at a very young age, let's refer you to the Lady Jane Grey podcast and then the Queen Mary podcast. Basically, Lady Jane Grey was queen or not for nine days, and then Elizabeth's older sister Mary took her birthright and became queen of England. 
At the beginning, Elizabeth and Mary had to work together to project a united front. So Mary goes to her coronation in cloth of gold, and right behind her is Elizabeth in cloth of silver. Elizabeth, who looks just like her papa, mm-hmm. uh, who has great popular support. What a good person to have behind you. Oh, absolutely. Because there's Catholic Mary with Protestant Elizabeth. It was good. Mm-hmm. So far. At first. At first. <laughs> but then the distrust of the second person, the next person in line after you, is automatic and justified at this time. Yeah, this gleam on the silver is tarnishing in Mary's eyes about right now. She's wondering if Elizabeth is going to stab her in the back, because she is right behind her. Mm. And more than that, she's the natural focus for rebellion, even if Elizabeth has nothing to do with it. So there's nothing to be done for Elizabeth. There's nothing to be done but keep your head down. Really. Right. Even if you do nothing, others do things in your name. Mm-hmm. And that's what exactly what happened. There was a rebellion called the Wyatt Rebellion that was mostly a protest against Mary marrying Philip of Spain. And Elizabeth was implicated in it. And to the tower with her. Yeah. To the tower. To the traitor's gate of the tower. I can only imagine... She couldn't believe she had to go through that gate, by the way. There were thoughts of her mother going in there. Fear, 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 fear that this is a one-way ticket. Oh, sure. Well, why wouldn't she think that? She's certainly seen enough people heading in there. Well, and fear of her reputation. Um, The men that were escorting her in there were, you know, urging her. They were reasonably gentle because, as one of them warned his compatriots, this is the next heir, my friends, so far. Ixnay on the island's bay. <laughs> right, because Mary hasn't produced a son. Yeah, so this place is not luxurious in any way, except for she was allowed ten servants to serve her meals. So that's considered very, like, basic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so it wasn't a whole, it wasn't luxurious, though, but Mary wouldn't see her. Mary wouldn't see her, and she disapproved of receiving communication from her. Um, it was three months of daily terror, I have to say. She thought every day was going to be her last day. The scaffold is literally still outside from when Jane Grey got her head cut off. Right. And then and they're questioning her, and she's giving extreme... Now, this is Elizabeth. She's extremely intelligent, and she's already developed a very cunning side to her. And so she's giving exactly the right answers Well, from Mary's perspective, it was hard to know what to do. There's no proof of any wrongdoing at all, but could you let her out as a figurehead of revolt? She's very popular among the common people. In fact, two merchants that were overheard talking about poor Elizabeth and whatever were put in the pillory and had their ears nailed to the wood for defending her. So Mary's not having it. And she went ahead and married Philip of Spain. Screw all of you. I'm doing what I want to do. Right. So unpopular. Situation, but And again, all of that is in the Queen Mary podcast. Listen to it because it gives all, it fills in all the questions that you have. Now, Philip was on Elizabeth's side. Maybe he liked her personally. Doesn't even matter. Who cared about that? The next probable successor after Mary was Mary, Queen of Scots. Mary, Queen of Scots, married to the Dauphin of France. That equals France would be the boss of England. Unacceptable to Spain, so Elizabeth stays alive. Right. Is that too complicated? No, that seems pretty... So the rumblings were just too bad to keep her in the tower. Poor, beautiful, innocent Elizabeth. So we need to separate her from these people. And so, you know, assorted moving from place to place, infuriated Mary that people would line to watch her go. So she ended up um, at a palace near Woodstock. Not that Woodstock. Where she wrote... (laughs) That would be really far away. 
That would be a time travel situation, which we're not going to get into right now. Although we will reference Doctor Who later. Well, and that would really go against the sweet sister temperance image to be at Woodstock. It would. So then, at last, she was finally allowed to be mistress of her own household again at Hatfield. Undoubtedly, there were spies in the household, but at least she didn't have to, like, mother may I every time she needed to go to the bathroom or whatever. As Mary got sicker, and her end grew obviously nearer, the road to Hatfield was choked with traffic, literally a no-room-at-the-end situation. Uh, it reminds me of when Marie Antoinette and her husband became king and queen. The thundering footsteps of people abandoning the old monarch and running <laughs> to kneel first before the new monarch. Uh, human nature is just the dickens, you know. So we, they know we're on the right side. I don't want my ears or worse chopped or cut or nailed or anything. Yeah, why not? Um, the lords of the Privy Council came to Hatfield to tell her the news. She's just reading a book. They came up and kneeled to her, and and thus Elizabeth was Queen of England. Her well, sister had died. Right. It's 1558, for those of you who like dates. She is 25 years old. In her life, her father had killed her mother. She'd been a princess, a lady, a bastard, and now, finally, Queen Elizabeth. Can we cheer again? <sighs> And now it is time for a little break. Let's leave Elizabeth, the queen, sitting under the tree. And when we come back, we will talk about Elizabeth as queen of England. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with over 100,000 titles for you to choose from. For you, the listeners of the History Chicks, Audible is offering a free download so that you can try out their service. There is a natural fit for this episode. How about trying out The Life of Elizabeth I by Alison Weir? It's a great introduction to this amazing queen. Make sure to get the unabridged version for a full 24 hours of listening. Or what about The World of Downton Abbey by Jessica Fellows? Narrated by no other than Elizabeth McGovern, Lady Grantham herself. To receive your free audiobook download today, please visit audible.com slash thehistorychicks or simply follow the link on our website, thehistorychicks.com. And we are back. It has been a long and assorted journey to the throne, but at last Elizabeth has been named queen. So now what? There were a few days of nominating counselors and getting the household organized and packing, and then she and her thousand-plus company went south to London. There were a few stops settling in, notably the royal apartments at the Tower, where, incidentally, she fired the boss of that place, (laughs) who had been her jailer. But she did say, if I want anyone straightly held, I'll certainly call you back. So everyone else, though, uh, aside from that guy, appeared to be happy to see her. Mary had gotten a little OOC there at the end, and um, Elizabeth was looked on as sort of a deliverer. A little OOC? That was a summary, Susan. That was yes. a summary. <laughs> OOC okay. equals summary. Totally OOC. Um, so what did the people see exactly when they looked at her? Young, alert, friendly-looking, at ease with people. Maybe not exactly classically beautiful, but she's one of those people whose expressions make them charming. Mm -hmm. I think. Her red hair with the purple velvet, her ladies all in white gowns behind her, and the thousand people behind them. I think it's kind of shock and awe, but the benevolent kind. Yeah. Hundreds of church bells going crazy, people cheering and waving. This is what someone said about Elizabeth during her first week as queen. 
If ever any person had the gift to win the hearts of the people, it was the queen. Her spirit seemed to be everywhere. She distributed her smiles, her looks, her graces so artfully that the people redoubled the testimony of their joys and afterward filled the ears of all men with the extolling of their prince. So the loyalty was there from the beginning. She would stop and listen to a child singing or saying a piece of poetry. An old man would come and she would... Listen to him just as well as the nobles. It was good PR. And I think she truly loved people. I mean, she loved her country, mm-hmm. and, that, and she will go for the rest of her life proving that. But I think she truly loved people, and she understood them, and she was extroverted and got a lot from them for herself, too. So, unlike Mary, you know, I think Elizabeth really loved people. She might have been the original people's princess before mm-hmm. Diana. Oh, yeah. You know. Oh, yeah. That's a good one to imagine. I never... It, okay, all this time we've been reading and stuff, and that never even occurred to me. <laughs> well, Elizabeth had, like we said earlier, this great advantage of having been born at a time when high-born women were educated at a very high level. So the men around her would have been more accustomed to a learned woman. In fact, many were married to such mm-hmm. or had daughters that were such. So, and her s- sister had gone before to pave her way... <laughs> And to show her what not to do, in fact. But she reminded people a lot of her papa, and she identified herself with him. But really, I see Anne Boleyn coming through. It was clear as day. Clever, three moves Mm -hmm. ahead of everybody, Mm -hmm. very determined, and she made it clear from the outset that she was in charge while simultaneously flattering her counsel and weighing their advice. Now, the country that she inherited from her sister was kind of a mess. So having this golden orb of intelligence and popularity mm-hmm, was really worked in her favor she inherited a kind of a messy war with france mary and her mission to restore england to the to catholic religion had everybody on edge the country's kind of a mess well she's in a lot of debt and um she has a really good counselor in the personage of Sir William Cecil, who was appointed a long time ago to manage her estates at Hatfield, and he was tight with the purse, man. Woo was he tight with the purse, and that was necessary because this country was in debt. And Elizabeth was notoriously frugal, and of course she wanted peace. But also war was expensive and it tended to empty your treasure box. Mm-hmm. So if it wasn't that important, let's not do it, because it's very expensive. I think when she put together her council, the people that she chose was, I mean, it's just an example of her intelligence. I mean, William Cecil, she'd known him for so long. Mm-hmm. She knew that she could talk to him. She knew that they could communicate. She knew that they understood each other, and she knew they knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. And she'd left some people from Mary's council in place, even though they had just been plotting against her because, well, she got rid of some of them more. Yeah. She got rid of some. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But she, she left them because she was thinking with her head and not her heart. Like, these guys know these spheres of influence. I would be a fool to cut their head off until they're done. <laughs> yeah. So, she appointed with her head and not her heart, except for one. One glaring, glaring exception, Robert Dudley. (laughs) Later, the Earl of Leicester, 
He is a thread that runs through almost her whole life, starting around age eight. People think he was probably in this group of children who were educated with the young King Edward and Elizabeth while Henry VIII was still on the throne. So her baby gang. So Robert Dudley and Queen Elizabeth had a thing. Probably not a thing thing, but really a deep romantic love, I have to say. He was her master of horse, which was a taxing job, but he was also the master of her heart. See what I did there? More on Robert Dudley later. I just wanted to throw that out there. He was in her high-ranking counselors from Mm -hmm. an early point in her administration. So with her counselors, she needs to make some changes, and she needs to make them pretty darn quick. So she was able to address the religion right at the very beginning of her reign. First thing she does is reinstate her father's act of supremacy, but she adds a little twist with an, the act of uniformity. She brought back the Book of Common Prayer, which had been used during the reign of her brother, had been begun by her father, but she kind of added little twists and gave more of a nod to those who were of Roman Catholic faith. Well, after 30 years of crazy, honestly, what Elizabeth wanted was peace. She was brought up Protestant, and you would have thought she's going to go back that direction, but you know what? Middle ground is what she wanted. She said, I do not wish to make windows into men's souls. What she wanted was conformity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. Jason said. Yeah, well, she saw what happened when, when you became a zealot. It wasn't good for the country. So she laid out the rules by which this business was to take place, and she's trying to get to a point where Protestants and Catholics could let go of some things and just meet in the middle. Extremists on both sides were very unhappy. The Puritans, hey, do you know that name? Hmm. It's almost Thanksgiving. (laughs) Does that name ring a bell to anyone? Let's leave that there. They were so Protestant. They were against wedding rings. They didn't approve of dancing. They didn't approve of probably happiness. They were grumpy. Proto-Americans is what those were. And then the Catholics, still on the other side, still don't want Elizabeth. Can't believe this is happening. Can't we just go back home to Papa Pope? Can't we just, you know, they were not good with change at all. Um, And at first it was this rickety, just rickety conglomeration full of debates. Mm -hmm. But you know what? She's like, I don't really care. Go to church every Sunday or you will pay me 12 pence, which is like 11 pounds, which is a lot of money. Yeah, for every Sunday. For every member of your family. So gradually people became used to it. It had the pomp of the Catholic Church and still does. Mm -hmm. We all saw that wedding, didn't we? Did we get up early and watch the wedding? Yeah, the the christening of George. Oh, there you go. Lots of pomp. So it had some philosophical reforms of Protestantism. She wanted to be tolerant. She did of Catholic beliefs. She was hoping that it would just like fade away, kind of like as the new religion kind of took hold. Mm -hmm. The old one would just kind of go... But Catholics at the extreme just couldn't compromise, and they turned to political means to try to get back. And so Elizabeth persecuted the Catholics, yes, but for treason, right. not for religion. That's, I mean, a complete oversimplification, let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> but whereas Mary, her sister, was like, Protestants will die because they're, they're heretics and blah, blah, blah. Elizabeth was more like, toe the line or feel my wrath. I mean, only six people the entire time she was queen, that's a long time, Mm -hmm. were ever punished for blasphemy or heresy to death. Six. Everyone else, now is this marketing that we put them under the umbrella of treason? Probably. But is it also probably true? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, Elizabeth, this was her religious philosophy. Please, God, reveal your will to me. And that's 
pretty much what she prayed. That's the end of it. Actually, that's a great prayer. So, as prayers go, it's, 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 I mean, I won't get into a biblical discussion, but that's a pretty biblical prayer. Of course, I am Protestant. (laughs) So, I should maybe reveal that I am complete atheist. Well, I think that that's the beauty of us. Is that we are such polar opposites on a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And yet we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. So high five. High five. High five Elizabeth, too. Because her main philosophy with regard to other people is, oh, I see. And I say nothing. There's a famous rainbow portrait of hers. That's what it's called. Yeah. And on the dress, it has eyes embroidered and ears. And that's just to say, look, I got you. <laughs> But I'll just be right here. Well, Elizabeth worked very hard, and she tried to read everything. Unlike Henry VIII, who would snap his fingers and want a summary because he had a tennis game. People. <laughs> There's animals that need to be shot. There was a chick waiting. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> but Elizabeth was very, very diligent, and it kind of freaked out Cecil a little bit. He was yeah. not ready for all this vigor from mm-hmm. a woman sovereign. The problem was people just couldn't wrap their heads around a woman ruling them, really. Um, she needed to marry, as far as they were concerned, because there were, quote, things only fit for men on the table. By which they meant war or wenching or worrying their pretty heads, I guess. I don't really know. But really, everyone had had enough of this, who's going to succeed after the king, after the queen nonsense. They wanted that buttoned up ASAP. Mary, queen of Scots, and her husband had already added king and queen of England to their titles. (laughs) Many Catholic countries, France included, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps some subjects, of course, thought Elizabeth ought not to have been made queen at all. Because was Henry VIII really married to Anne Boleyn? He was still married to his first wife at the time. Very suspect, as far as they're concerned. And Mary, Queen of Scots, was descended from Henry VIII's oldest sister, legitimately. So if you're being fair, the laws of primogeniture would tell you Mary, Queen of Scots, is the new Queen of England. So, madam, to remove this threat, chop, chop, please, madam, we need you to get married. Rather than sprinkle them throughout this show, I think we should go over some of the major Mr. Elizabeth candidates here. Keep in mind, these guys go through beginning of reign till mid-50s. So, first off the mark is brother-in-law Philip of Spain. Yes, this worked so well last time. Mary's husband. Yes, that's what I said, Mary's husband. Again, he was personally reluctant, but thought it was politically important to keep a toe in England. And Elizabeth avoided his ambassador, really. Uh, drew out her no until she really couldn't play it off anymore. No? He was kind of relieved, kind of, I think. No, well, what about my cousin Charles, the Archduke of Austria, or Eric of Sweden, or the Duke of Savoy, or the King of Denmark, or Charles IX of France, who's 14, or, 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 ten or so competitors of this sort in the ring at any given time in history. So now we're going to go to a little game show we like to call The Tudor Suitors. It's a game by Elizabeth. Elizabeth may have lacked the ability to joust, but she did have a gift of being able to manipulate people, and that gift is going to play out big time in the Tudor Suitors game. If she was a valuable commodity before she was queen, now even more so. So just the hint that someone might actually land her would have people tripping over themselves to get in front of her and and propose this union. She had, in her lifetime, up to, or perhaps exceeding, 26 marriage proposals. 
Her power really did depend on her remaining single to play off one major country off another, delay, flirt, promise, step back. You see, she had a major problem even choosing anyone at all. If she married any foreign prince at all, waves of panic gripped the land, the people terrified of their fates, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so Elizabeth, who valued the good opinion of her subjects and her freedom from a boss, which a foreign prince would definitely be some kind of boss, And if she picked a subject, any subject, she could cause unrest in her own country among the nobles who didn't have a member of their faction chosen, like Boleyns versus Seymour's. That was a dirty game, too. Do we want to cause unrest at home, or do we want to cause unrest in the world? Oh, what a choice that is. Well, and how wise of her not to ever get married. (laughs) Well, and every time the slightest thing happened, Parliament was back at her with pressure to marry. So she really was very reluctant to call Parliament. She didn't want to hear it. Um, (laughs) She did, I believe, understand the importance of bringing forth an heir. But at what cost? Yes, she said, if I had been a milkmaid with a pail on my arm, I would not forsake that single state to match with the greatest monarch in the world. She had a duty to marry and an absolute disinclination to do it. It's a puzzle. So there are men from... Both categories, foreign and domestic, that might have succeeded had circumstances been a little different. Let's just pull a couple of them out. We will link you to a list of all the suitors and that will tell you if they were actually a legitimate like contender for the title or not. Um, but we'll just pull out a couple just for fun. Um, there's Prince Eric of Sweden, who was then later King Eric of Sweden, who pursued her for quite a while he would send her love letters which she seemed to find very amusing she loved getting his letters i don't know if she was mocking him i'm going to suspect she probably was eventually this was a good call for her to cross him off the list he went quite insane he was deposed imprisoned by his half-brother and died in prison possibly from poisoning so goodbye prince king eric of sweden Another person that um, Beckett already had mentioned was the Archduke Charles of Austria. He was the third son of Emperor Ferdinand. He was Catholic and against the Reformation, so this was going to be a sticky one for her if she had actually made this happen. But again, she played him for quite a while because the alliance with Austria would have been a, a very good one for England, beneficial for both of them. He went on, even though he was crossed off the list, to found a university. Eventually, he married his niece and had 15 children. He married his niece? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> one of his kids, Margaret of Austria, married Philip III of Spain. That brings it all back together and ties everything together, doesn't it? <sighs> Thins out the gene pool. <laughs> Hemophilia. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Next up, we have Robert Dudley. If there was Facebook at the time, she would have said, relationship status, it's complicated. Now, whole books have been written on this one relationship, and we will certainly give you a title. To read all about just the Queen and Lester. He became the Earl of Lester later. So we're not going to go into huge, huge detail, but they were childhood friends. Um, really within a month after Elizabeth became Queen, it was common knowledge among the diplomatic corps of foreign courts that if you know what you're doing, you get Lord Robert on your side first. That's like advice. Give it to new ambassadors. Go with old Chachi over here. And get him on your side. Well, 
Yes, he was the favorite. He even acted as her host on official occasions. He made no secret of his access. The intimacy is kind of shocking. At one point, he was even going to her room in the mornings to hand her her shift. Presumably, she's standing there naked, and he hands her the first garment to put on. (laughs) Yeah, rumors abounded that they were lovers, Um, even that she had borne him a child out of wedlock. The unlikeliness of this persuades me they were not. There would just have to be a massive conspiracy of silence among people who love to open their faces about the slightest thing. Yeah, how could you, how could a queen who was so highly visible have a child out of wedlock? She kept him by her always, um, allowed him to be so informal. (laughs) One time he had been playing tennis with the Duke of Norfolk and unthinkingly grabbed a hold of her handkerchief out of her hand to wipe his forehead and the Duke of Norfolk was so incensed by what Lester had just done that he wanted to fight him. <laughs> like, what the hell? And uh, he was probably like, oh, here. Here's sweating. my handkerchief. I shouldn't even care. Well, they had that level of intimacy. I mean, they had known each other for so long. They were actually in the tower together. They never met in the tower. I mean, at least but not probably. But they had that same shared experience uh, that they could that could bond them together even farther because they had known each other for such a long time. She referred to Robert Dudley as, quote, another ourself. That's telling. That's very telling. So she, you know. So I liked, I liked the nickname Bonnie Sweet Robin. <laughs> so when Elizabeth elevated him to the peerage as the Earl of Leicester, it was bad enough to people that it happened at all. And then she tickled his freaking neck in front of everyone during the ceremony. Dignity canceled. I'm not sure people's eyebrows ever came back down from the top of their head after that deal. Plus, he was married. Right. And that was the whole thing. She she couldn't really marry him because he was already married. When he was unmarried, she couldn't marry him because his wife died and the circumstances of her death were so suspicious that the finger was pointed at him. And at the queen. Like, oh, how convenient Mm -hmm. that Amy Robsart died suspiciously and nobody was at home. Hmm. But whatever. But really, that did cut off any chance she could really marry him at all because... Now, if you marry him, you kind of confirm hmm, that that's true. You know, my favorite conspiracy theory is that William Cecil, Secretary of State, had that happen, caused the wife of Robert Dudley to die so that he would forever be invalidated as a suitor in this exact same way. (laughs) Politically, marrying him would not have been good for her, whereas Cecil could have married her off to someone for political gain. Yeah, that's a good theory. Poor old Amy Robsart. I'm telling you what. I know. All she did was marry this really cute man and then get banished from court. Charming man. At that. He actually remained unmarried after that for years. And, you know, maybe to give her the opportunity. Yeah. Which just never happened. Later, he was banished for secretly marrying Latisse Nolis, who was the cousin of Elizabeth, one of her ladies-in-waiting. Secretly, they went off and got hitched. And you know who gets blamed? The wife. And she gets sent away from court and banished. But Dudley gets forgiven, because he always gets forgiven, because that's how it is. That's right. Uh, One more man almost made it. Francis, the Duke of Alençon, half her age, ladies' man, suave, educated, a patron of the arts, manly, well-connected, Elizabeth met him in person, unlike all her other foreign dignitary suitors, and they did hit it off. She called him my frog. He gave her frog earrings. She wore them. It was real cute. Yeah, I think they got along intellectually and personality-wise. I mean, he was 
very short. His back was deformed. He had some pretty severe smallpox scars. So physically, he probably doesn't look anything like his portraits. <laughs> but, um, you know, see Anne of Cleves. But there's something to be said mm-hmm. for someone that comes in that is really of or very near your rank. You don't have, he's not your subject. He's very smart. He makes you laugh uncontrollably. Like, I must pee laugh. Holy crap. Let me fan myself laugh. There's something to be said for the value of that kind of guy being around. Robert Dudley, meanwhile, is panicking, running around, freaking out, spreading rumors that he is slipping the queen love potion. Because how could this happen? Look at him. Yeah. She calls him a frog. He looks like a frog. (laughs) Cracks me up. Well, you know what? Dudley had married someone, so bite me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You have lost your claim. You don't get a vote now. Bye-bye, Robin. I know. It cracks me up. But Elizabeth was drawing out the negotiations in her classic way. I... You know, she might have married him had circumstances been different right then, but at the end, toward the end, I think she was kind of tired of the whole thing. Um, she did officially break off gently, very gently, the engagement. Uh, but luckily for etiquette, unlucky for the Duke of Alençon, he died in 1584. Elizabeth wrote his mother, Catherine de' Medici, a very touching letter in which she wrote, Madame, if you could see the image of my heart, you would see a picture of a body without a soul. So let us turn our back on marriage and children. It's not going to happen. She flat out said this country will have one mistress and no master. That's she how did. it's going to be. And, I mean, she does earn the title of the Virgin Queen, although the conspiracy theorists are out there uh, alleging to several romances throughout her life. You know, did she or didn't she? We are not those who will say. We are ladies. But I will say an illegitimate pregnancy would have been devastating. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if you would have risked an all-the-way type of situation. No, but it makes them for some really good storytelling. That's true. So, let's take a little break, and then when we come back, a little foreign policy, a possible heir, a trouncing, and the beginnings of a legend. And there, alas, we must leave Elizabeth for another episode. We have so much information. Our table is cluttered with papers. So, we are going to go ahead and roll this over to a second episode. So, thank you so much for listening. Bye! For show notes, links to the things we talked about today, or to donate, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at thehistorychicks, with an X, or like us on Facebook without an X. Listen to us on Stitcher, the super fabulous radio app of tomorrow. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes. Our music comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. Ignore your heart, control.